Thank you so much for the warm welcome to Lawndale. What a blessing it is for Donna and I to come back and to serve among you. And you guys have certainly made us feel welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, as I said, uh, other times we feel like we've come home and you have made us feel like that. Uh, again, we, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate uh, the right hand that has been extended to us and the favor that you have shown toward us to let us come back and to serve in this way. I told the first service I am going to be asking for a little bit of uh, grace and take uh, advantage of that warmth that I've been offered in coming in. Uh, We know as we move forward, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. Uh, There have been over the months. And it's interesting, last week was actually the one-year anniversary of the shutdown. So just over a year, and our, our goal is begin to start moving things back toward normalcy and through a process. And so in April, we're going to invite the 4 o'clock service to come back into the 9 o'clock service and try to merge some, do a little bit more of a balanced, blended kind of a service there. There may be some of you who want to come to that service as well. We would, we would warmly welcome you for that. And we'll be making some other announcements soon as well, as far as some of the life journey groups and meeting times. And so our our goal is to start making a little bit more progress, and we hope in April to be on time and online in doing that. Uh, Dr. Horner last week talked about how we all need some dumb chips every once in a while. If you were here last week, and if if you weren't, go back and listen to it. It's a great sermon. Uh, Arville came alongside and said, maybe it might be better to call those grace chips. So whatever you want to call them, maybe I do like grace a little bit more. And so as we make some movements and changes in the days ahead, we might be asking for a few grace uh, chips as we try some things and try to get back to some normalcy. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I thought for my first sermon back at Lawndale as the senior pastor, I would give just a real inspirational message called, You Don't Have What It Takes. (laughs) Glad I could be a messenger of encouragement to you this morning. But Hebrews chapter 4, I think, is a a great place for us to camp out for a while this morning. The, The message of the culture to us is that you can do anything you put your mind to. If we think about that just a little bit, a little common sense, we know that's really not true. None of us are gifted in all ways. None of us have all talents. None of us are all-knowing. None of us are capable of doing anything that we think that we might want to try to do. And especially as we think about our, our walk with the Lord and our walk here on earth, sometimes we live it like we, we can do it ourselves. We don't really need God's help. And so the message of Hebrews for us, as we look at Hebrews chapter 4, is that Jesus is enough. You are not enough. Moses wasn't enough. The law wasn't enough. The angels aren't enough. None of anything that we could possibly think about is enough. But Jesus is. And as we look at this text this morning, I hope that we'll see just how adequate Jesus is for all that we face. Hebrews chapter 4, let's look again in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
Now think with me about the context of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's referring back to the Israelites. They had been around all the things of God. They had seen God deliver them from Egypt. They had gone to the Red Sea and saw it parted. They had been at the foot of Mount Sinai where God had made Himself known and given them the law and specifically the Ten Commandments. They had been around the things of God. They had been around the people of God. But when push came to shove, they were at the edge of the promised land, their rest, what they had longed for. And none of that generation, 20 and over, made it in. What a tragedy. Here they had done so much, they had been so many places, and they had been around so much, and yet when it was time to enter the promised land, they looked to themselves and what they could do, and they said, we can't do this. It's more than us. They're like giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And, we can't, and so when they came up to the edge of the promised land, they disobeyed God rather than obeying God. And they didn't enter in. And that's the analogy that we're facing when we come to verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let's not be like them when all that were 20 and over died and God raised up another generation who would obey, who would go over into the promised land led by Joshua. Let's not be like them. Let's be a people that God uses, that doesn't turn back, that doesn't come up short, that doesn't experience the promises of God like he intended. Now, think about some of these words as we think about this first point. Since you don't have what it takes, come wholeheartedly to the family of God. You see, there were those among the Israelites at this point that were starting to wonder, is it really worth it? Can we really do this? And you get this word of encouragement all through the book. Let us, let us. And all that's based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The superiority of Christ. And so some of the key words in this uh, verse 11 are rest. How do we enter into the full confidence of God? Placing all of our faith on who he is and what he's done for us. We see the word strive. And the word strive doesn't mean work and earn in that sense of striving, but it means to be diligent to understand your relationship with God. Strive, be diligent, think through, am I really in the family of God? Examine yourself. And so we can think about some of these subpoints to, to this first point. We come to Christ by surrendering, not finding if we ever start thinking, man, I'm a pretty good guy or I'm a pretty good girl because I found the Lord, in reality, He found you, right? He was pursuing you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And God began to draw you to, your, to Himself. And in surrendering rather than finding that one antithetical thought, it brings us to bringing glory to God instead of bringing glory to ourselves. We, we stop looking at what we've done and we start looking more at what God has done for us. We come wholeheartedly to the family of God by, by surrendering instead of finding. We come by resting, not working. There's nothing you can do to be a part of the family of God. You can't get baptized enough. You can't join the church enough. You, you can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. Uh, some people even offer what might sometimes be called the sinner's prayer, and still 
not be in the family of God. If there's not a new birth, if there's not a change from the old life to a new life, there's, there, there's not someone who's in the family of God. That person's not been adopted. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, as you're struggling in life, it's a good time to examine your own heart and your own life. Are you really in the family of God? We come by resting, resting in the work of what Jesus did for us on the cross and what he's offered us through the power of his resurrection. We rest in full confidence on Christ and not ourselves. We cannot earn the love of God or the family of God. And we also come by examining, not assuming. Some people assume I'm in the family of God because my parents were. They assume they're in the family of God because they've been in church for many, many years. And yet, they've never placed their faith fully in Christ. Come wholeheartedly to the family of God. As Israel demonstrates for us, you can be around a a lot of godly, biblical things and still have no conversion, have no change that takes place, no surrender of life. And so for us, we come back and we, we want to examine ourselves. I was thinking about a guy who might work on swimming pools. We're heading toward the summer, and some of you like to get out and be at the beach or the pools. But, but think about that pool technician. What if you knew a guy who, he knew all the right pH levels for the water. He might even install pools. He might be one who knows how to get everything just like it ought to be, clean the filters, Do everything that's necessary for that pool to operate so that people can swim. He might even know a lot about swimming. But what would you think if he didn't know how to swim? It would seem a little paradoxical, right? He knows a lot about swimming, but he doesn't know how to swim. And I would say to you, there are a lot of people who know a lot about God, and and they're familiar with a lot of the things of God, but they don't know God. There's no relationship. They're still relying on themselves. They're still relying on works. They're still relying on something other than the finished work of Christ. Come wholeheartedly to the family of God. You don't have what it takes to get in the family of God. You don't deserve to be in the family of God. As a matter of fact, if we got what we deserved, we would get punishment. We would get wrath. We would get an eternal place in hell forever because we're sinners if we got what we deserved. And yet God, out of his graciousness, shows us that we don't have what it takes. In, in, in one way you'd think, well, that's kind of a slam, God. You're, you're showing me I don't have what it takes to get into heaven. But another way, isn't that the gracious work of God? That he would show you your need for a savior. You can't save yourself and nobody else can save you. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Come wholeheartedly to the family of God. Notice with me in verse 12, the second thing this morning. Come expectantly to the word of God. For the word of God, now this refers back to verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them. God made himself known to them. Not only in general revelation, but specifically through the law. God made himself known. God makes himself known and has made himself known through words. And that's why we oftentimes talk about the word of God. There is the word of God who is a person, Jesus, but there's also the word of God that is written for us, like the law and like 
The revelation that we have in the Old Testament and now what we have in the New Testament. In all Scripture, all ways that God has made Himself known through Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. It is a revelation of Himself. What I want you to see is that you don't have what it takes to see life rightly. Even as a follower of Christ, you don't have what it takes. The world is, is a confusing place. You can get in the middle of a set of circumstances like a pandemic and what are we going to do? You can get in the middle of, of a new job or a decision that you have to make or a family situation and all of a sudden you're at a place where I don't know what to do. It can feel so overwhelming that you think, am I at the right place? Can I keep going on? It can create all kinds of anxieties for us. You do not have what it takes to know what you should do apart from God's Word. And that's why he, get, he gave it to us. The Word of God is living and active. These words that He's made known, these words that have even been written down for us today. The Word of God, notice some of the ways that it's described. Uh, this is the nature of His Word. It's living. It's eternally true. It's living. Just like God says about Himself, I am. His words that he's spoken are living. That is, they're always true, like he's always true. If God wasn't true, his word wouldn't be true, but because he's true, his word is true. It goes hand in hand. The nature of God's word is that it's living, it's always applicable. Why should I be reading my Bible every day? Because it's always applicable, it's living. God has something for me today. God wants to work in my heart, in my life today. It's living and it's active. It accomplishes God's purposes. God wants to give you direction. He wants you to take, know what to do next. There are those times He waits to reveal some of those next steps to us, but He, want, he wants us to walk in His will. He's not hiding what He wants from us. He, he has fully made Himself known through His Word. Oftentimes we don't know what to do because we've not come to the Word of God. And His purpose in giving us His Word is to make us more like Christ as followers of Christ. How are we going to know God and enjoy God and glorify God? He's telling us here in His Word. It's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. When I think about getting operated on, that's not one of my most favorite thoughts. And sometimes when God is operating, I think He can use that broadsword and really let us have it. And we need it. We need to be broken sometimes and humbled. And, and sometimes God just surgically with that surgeon's knife works on one particular area in us. But God's word is, it's sharp. It's sharp. That's the nature of his word. But, but think also about uh, the, the power of God's word. What does it do? Well, verse 12 tells us, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning. So those two key words. It's power to, to pierce and to discern. The God's word awakens us in our lostness. Why do we preach the word of God? Well, people can't have faith without the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It, it pierces people's hearts it has power to save. Paul told Timothy, and you have known the scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation. In 2 Timothy 
God pierces hearts. But he does that with people who already know him too. And maybe that's why sometimes people don't like to be in the word of God because they know it's going to show them what God wants to do in them. It's, it pierces. and uh, So much so that in human work, we can get to joints and marrow, although it's a precise work of a surgeon, but in human terms, we can't get to the soul and the spirit. Now, we could have some discussions on whether the soul and the spirit is the same or whether it's two different things. Uh, I personally am a dichotomist. We're body and soul, and there's some different names for soul. But the idea here is, is that God only can do the heart work that needs to be done in each of us. So when we're in our time of need, this is exactly where we need to be for God to do the work that only He can do in our lives. In your home, why would we not be bringing the Word of God to bear in family devotions? Why would we not be bringing the Word of God to our kids and teaching them how to spend time in the Word of God? In a church family like this, why would older men not be investing in younger men and older women investing in younger women, teaching them how to be in the Word of God and to read it and that we might encourage one another? Because this is where the heart work happens. We can put together wonderful programs. We can have big, huge events. But the ongoing exposure to the Word of God is what brings change to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. It's the Word of God. It has power to do work that none of us can do. What parent would not want to bring a child along learning how to read the Bible? Do you know so many of our kids leave the church when they leave high school and go to college, right? You know, you've heard statistics. But the one factor that seems to change so much of that, when you look at all the kids who when they left high school and went to college and continued walking with God, is that they had learned to read their Bibles early in life. If I was a parent here of young kids, that would be one of my primary goals as a parent, is to teach my kids how to read the Bible. We had that rule at our house, you can't play games or watch TV unless you've read your Bible and cleaned your room. <laughs> reading your Bible. I, I think when kids are in the womb, we should start reading. There's, there's life there. Kids here in the womb. Start reading when the, when the children are in the womb so that when they come out of the womb, they're already used to you reading the Word of God to them. Read, read the Bible to them when they're preschoolers. It may be a big picture Bible or the Jesus storybook Bible, but we're reading the, the Bible to them. And by grade one, they should be learning to read some themselves. So you're reading with them. Read to them. By grade one, read with them. And by grade three, you can keep reading to them and with them, but now the Bible should be read by them. By grade three, parents should map out some paragraphs and some chapters where kids can start reading their Bibles. Now, I'm talking a lot about how parents can do that for kids, but I hope you know where I'm going next, parents. You need to model it yourself. Grandparents, you've got to model it yourself. So adults, why, why aren't we reading the Word of God? Why aren't we spending time daily? We, we should gather with the church like this. God instructs us not to forsake 
the assembling together of ourselves. We gathered here the Word of God taught. God gave the church pastors for the equipping of the saints. We read that, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We get that. And we should gather together. But this one meal a week is not enough. God intends for you to be in His Word daily. And there are a lot of reasons we don't, but how can man live by bread alone? I mean, shouldn't we be living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? God calls us to be people of the Word, to dwell richly in His Word, and to be in the Word in such a way as that we can be taught, rebuked, corrected, and instructed in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Adults, if you don't have time to be in the Word, what other things are you doing? I mean, I, are you shopping? Okay, well, that's fine. Are you watching the ball game? I could go even a little further and say, well, maybe, maybe you're going to work. Going to work's fine. I mean, I think you should go to work. But that's not more important than your relationship with God. Maybe even a little more personally, are you, are you eating breakfast every morning? Well, I mean, I think you should eat breakfast if you want to eat breakfast, but I think being in the Word is more important. Now, can you be in the Word and eat breakfast too? I think so. But how about lunch? Whatever it is, are, are, we, are we so distracted by the world that we're not letting God do His work in our lives through the Word? You might know a lot about the Bible already. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible, God's Word is living and active Every time we read through it, God is doing something different in our lives. We're at different places in our lives. And we should be regularly reading the Word of God, asking Him to do that work that only He does through His work. If we're not, we're basically saying, God, I've got it. I'm smart enough. I don't need you to speak to me daily. So should you read your Bible every day? Well, it depends on how many days you want God to work in your life. Do you want God to work in your life all these days, seven days? Well, read the Bible every day. Because God will do His work in us through His Word. Well, think with me about the judgment of God's Word. That's really what the text is getting to about the Word of God. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. You're accountable to God for what He's revealed. This is what he's revealed in his word. You're accountable to God for that. I, I firmly believe that one day when we stand before God and the books are opened, I think the book of life will be there, but I think the Bible will be one of those books because it says plural, the, and the books will be opened. I believe the word of God because it is eternal. And we're going to be judged by what God has revealed. And, and if we've had two or three Bibles in our houses, if we have it on our phones and our computers, and we're not even interacting, I mean, what is that even saying to God? That I don't really need to hear you, God. I don't really need you to work in my life. And we're going to be held accountable by the words of God. We're, we're accountable. That's one reason why for me I, I'm opposed to the Equality Act that's before our Senate right now. It's not because I'm opposed to people having rights, but I'm opposed to being forced to approve of immoral behavior. And when it comes to churches and schools and hospitals, they should not be forced 
to accept ungodly behavior. People, people can make their own choices. We can't stop them from doing that. That's, that's their business in that sense. But the Equality Act goes far beyond that to force us to accept immoral behavior. Come, come, come expectantly to the Word of God. Are you following with me so far? We're, we're, we're not enough. You're not enough. So come wholeheartedly to the family of God. Come expectantly to the Word of God. And come confidently to the throne of God. God's given us what we need. Since we don't have it ourselves in Christ, we're adopted into the family of God. In Christ, uh, we've, we've been given the Word of God because it's a book about Him. And in Christ, we have been given the invitation to come to the throne of God. We would give up on our own strength, but God allows us to hold on to our confession because of Jesus. Notice in verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We couldn't couldn't hold on to Jesus ourselves, but God holds on to us. We're in the palm of His hand. Nobody can pluck us out. Because of Jesus, I can come into the presence of God. It's not even that I can co- I, I come to the presence of God kind of like, God, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to even be coming into your presence. It's not even, God, I just have this one little favor to ask. It's, what does he say? Verse 16, let us then come with confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You see, Jesus knows what we need. He's been through all this stuff. There's nothing you're going to go through that Jesus doesn't understand. He's able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. You, you're weak. That's countercultural, I know. You're weak and you're inadequate and you can't do this thing. Jesus gives you everything you need to be right with God and to walk with God, though. And part of that is that he went through the difficulties and the weaknesses of life so that he could adequately help us in our weaknesses. Every time I begin a new thing, there's always that moment when I realize I'm not enough for this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. This is overwhelming. There are those moments when you, when you tackle something new or when, when you're dealing with life. I, I remember talking to a young man who had been married for about a year. And I remember his confidence when he was first getting married. Man, we're, we're, this is going to be good and it's going to be great. And after the first year he comes, he says, you know, I thought I was going to be better at this. You see, God brings us to the end of ourselves. And no matter what it is that we face, God graciously... Because he has so much better than what you can do. God graciously brings you to the end of of yourself so that you learn how to rely on him. You learn how to examine yourself. Am I in the faith? You learn how to, to come to the word of God. God, I need your help. Speak to me. Lead me. Change me. And you learn how to come to the throne of grace so that you can receive help. And again, it all keeps pointing back to Jesus. He gets all the glory for it. I remember one time in particular, a few years back, getting in a, in a place, God, I, I can't do this. This is, this is too much. And I started feeling some anxiety over it. And I was feeling, I was feeling pretty guilty because, God, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have it all together. I'm, I'm supposed to know everything, do everything, be everything. 
And God, it doesn't, it, it, it's, not, it's not comfortable for me to be uncomfortable and not to know what to do next. And I, again, I was feeling some, some guilt over that. And I remember being in the Gospels at that point and reading about Jesus before he went to the cross. And do you remember what he felt before he went to the cross? That night before he was arrested. Remember just prostrate on the ground. And he was crying out to his father. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. In other words, this is too much. This is big. I don't, I don't want to go through this. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Do you think he felt any any stress or intense emotion in that moment? Of course he did. As the Son of God, perfect, he felt the weight of that burden that was upon him, and so much so that he was sweating great drops of blood. I would say that's pretty tense and stressful. He was in an anxious moment. But what did he do? He did the right thing in that moment. He turned to his father. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, this is where the faith comes in. Not my will, but your will be done. God, whatever you want to do. Father, I trust you. I feel horrible. This is uncomfortable. It's even painful. You know, if you were, getting, if you were having surgery... And there was no anesthesia. That would be painful. And sometimes God uses that sword of the Spirit, and it's painful. There are moments when you don't know if you're going to survive. You don't know if you're going to make it. But God is just being so gracious to you in your brokenness. To say, I've got so much more if you'll learn how to lean on me. If you'll learn how to turn to me. You'll, you'll learn how to enjoy Walking with God, you'll learn how to trust Him and Him alone. And Job, I, I think about his story and I see everything that Job had was lost. And you think, man, how horrible would that be? But, but how gracious God was to bring him to a place to say, Job, if I took everything else away, would you love me? And Job did. How about in our lives when we look at our circumstances and they look hopeless and we're overwhelmed. Do we really love God? Do we trust Him? You're able to hold fast your confession because of Jesus. If Jesus wasn't in your life, you couldn't hold on. It's like the person said, do you think you can lose your salvation? Well, if you can lose your salvation, you would, right? If you could lose your salvation, you would. But since you're in the palm of Jesus' hand, you can't lose your salvation. He holds on to you. If it was up to you, you would lose it. But it's not up to you. It's up to Him. You're in His family. You're able to pray because of Jesus. He did all of the work. You do not deserve to come into the presence of our great God and King. You do not deserve to offer your request to Him. But Jesus cleaned you up completely. When you came to Christ, He forgave you all your sin, past, present, and future. And God warmly welcomes you into His presence, moment by moment, day by day. You see, prayer is not just something that should be just one time a day. 
It's not something that's just offered at a mealtime. Prayer is something that should be ongoing. Pray without ceasing. As we grow in our faith, we learn moment by moment. There are some days life is so overwhelming, you learn how to do that moment by moment. Because all of a sudden, you're in a weak spot, and you think, God, I'm I'm not going to make it through this. And then you, okay, God, and you start preaching the gospel to yourself and you start praying and you get into the word and, and, and then, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And, and then a few minutes later, all these thoughts start flooding through your mind. God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And then you come back to God again. You, you see the graciousness of God to show us that we're not enough and that we might learn how to walk with him and enjoy him moment by moment, day by day. We're able to pray because of Jesus, and you're able to receive help because of Jesus. I, I love that verse 16 where, where he says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I love how he describes the throne. It's a throne of grace. That we may receive mercy. That is, instead of getting what we deserve, wrath and punishment and a stiff arm, it's open arms. We receive mercy and find grace. To help in time of need. Whatever we need, Jesus is sufficient. Life is miserable when you depend on yourself or someone else, but God wants you to enjoy Him. And when you learn how to begin to enjoy Him, you have life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. God wants you to come into His presence. He wants you to live in His presence. And prayer is a relationship, but it's also asking. There are things that we need, and we, He wants us to come and ask Him. I, I love my kids, and if you're a parent or a grandparent, I know you do too, you would, you would die for your kids. If there, were, if there were some reason that you needed to die in their place, you would do it as a parent. And I think about how much God loves us and what Jesus did so that we could be in the family of God. He died for us. And he's saying, the one who died for us is saying, come to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. I will always be here. I am. I, I not only died for you, but now I'm seated at the right hand of the Father and I'm interceding for you. Come to me. I will give you what you need. Now what we need might not be what we want. And what we need may not be given to us when we want it. But what we need most is Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, no matter what you think it is that you need that would make you happy, only Jesus will make you happy. And the more you learn how to grow in your relationship and enjoy Him, the more satisfied you're going to be in Him. And then when you're satisfied in Him, He's going to be glorified by you. What a great, great thing that God has given us. So, same way, of, should, I, should I read my Bible every day? Well, it depends on how much you want God to work in your life. Should I pray every day? Well, it depends on how much you want God's help. Depends on how much you want to grow in your relationship with God. And not just every day, but moment by moment. So, why don't we come to His family? Why don't we come to His Word? Why don't we come to His throne? Well, I would say first, I think pride. Most people don't say it, but they act like they don't need God. I've got it. I'm, I'm doing just fine on my own. And they don't realize, sometimes it takes a crisis for us to realize that we don't have it all together. Thank God for the crisis 
Thank God for the difficulties. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you have all kinds of different trials and difficulties that you face because God's working in you, right? That's, that's what, he's supplying what's lacking in your life. He's growing you up in your life. But sometimes we, we get to these places, even as believers, that somehow we, we, we don't need the Word, we don't need to pray, and we're just kind of operating life, doing stuff on our own. And that's, that's pride. I, I think procrastination is also a part of the problem. Well, you know, one day I'm going to start reading my Bible. One day I'm going to really start getting into this prayer stuff. One day, you know, I'm going to really, and whatever it is, one day. And somehow that's kind of that salve that makes us feel better. Some, somehow we, feel, we make ourselves feel better by one day. I, I, it's not that I'm not going to do this. It's just one day I'm going to do this. And Every day we say, well, one day it's another day of disobedience. And it makes me wonder, is somebody really, is that person really saved? Because that's what happened with it. They were disobedient. That proved that they weren't true in faith. They weren't authentic. They, they were disobedient. And our disobedience, uh, as we live a life consistently of disobedience, is that person really saved? Because if they were saved, they would... They would be following Christ and they would be living a life that honors Him. They would desire that and they would be making progress and growing in that way. Not perfection. I, I, we know that's not the case. But we would be desiring that and growing to that. And So third reason that I think some don't come and that's laziness. They, they just have not decided and determined that their relationship with God is the most important thing. So people can say, well, you know, I would read my Bible, but when I get up, I'm just so tired. Well, maybe that means you need to go to bed a little earlier. Maybe you need to exercise a little bit. Whatever it is that will help you to be more awake and aware so that you can spend time with the Word. Sometimes it's just discipline of when you go to bed and when you get up. Sometimes it's having some kind of a reading plan. It's a little discipline, a little structure, and laziness will hold us back from growing in our relationship with God. And the fourth reason is idolatry. I, I'm all, anybody that tells me I don't have time, I know they have an idol problem because they're putting other things before God. There, there's something that needs to be changed in how you do life, how you live life. If you say, I don't have time to, to read my Bible. I don't have time to spend time with the Lord and to pray. There, there's an idol problem there. You, you have things that are more important than God. And then the fifth thing I think is a lot of people are untrained. We might say undiscipled. Nobody's ever taught them how to read the Bible. They've, they've never had anybody to walk alongside of them and disciple them and mentor them in reading the Bible. Now, if you're one of those people would you email me this week or call me or text me and say, hey, would you, would you match me up with somebody who can help me learn how to read my Bible? If you, you might say, you know, I never really have learned how to pray. I don't even know what I'm doing. Would you email me, text me, or one of our pastors, any one of us? You see, that's, that's part of the culture that we're developing at Lawndale is that we want to be a discipleship church. And some of you have never learned yet how to read your Bibles. Let's do it. Let's, let's figure it out. This is accessible not because you are intelligent, but because God wants you to know Him and to grow. He's pursuing you. And I would even go so far as to say part of this message is God pursuing you to say, 
I, I want to be a man of the Word. I want to dwell richly in the Word of God. I want God to do everything in my life that He wants to do. Not my will, but Your will be done, God. Don't stay out there untrained. Our, our pastors, our staff, we, we want to disciple and we have other men and women who've been walking with God for a long time, been spending time in God's Word, that, that will come alongside of you at Lawndale. Let's, let's do this. Let's not stay where we are, but let's move forward for the glory of God. So what's your excuse? Where, where, where does God have you? Is it this morning that maybe you're, am I really saved? If I don't hunger for the Word of God and I'm not concerned about obedience to God, I would say you should examine yourself. Am I really saved? Have I really surrendered my life to Christ? Am I following Christ? And then, if you've not been in the Word, is there, there needs to be some repentance and commitment. And the same goes for prayer. You are not enough. You cannot make it day by day. You will never be what God put you on earth to be. You'll never do what God put you on here to do on earth to do if you don't come wholeheartedly to the family of God. If you don't come expectantly to the word of God and you don't come confidently to the throne of God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to you, we confess that we are not enough. And this morning I pray that your spirit would move among each one of us, men, women, boys and girls, that you would bring such conviction that none of us would be willing to stay where we are, but every one of us would fully surrender every area of our lives. Lord, if there are folks who are here that aren't in your family, whether they thought they were or whether they've trusted in something else other than in Christ's work, I pray that today that you'll bring them to yourself. I pray for others who are wrestling with walking with you and being in your word and that relationship of prayer. I pray that today that it would not be the same, but that moving forward, they would surrender everything and let you do your good work in each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, church. Are you hurting and broken?